Good morning. You know, Labor Day is an American federal holiday. It's observed on the first Monday of September, and it celebrates the economic and social achievements of all American workers. It's a yearly national tribute to the contributions that these workers have made in the strength, the prosperity, and the well-being of our country. But do you know how it came to be? Do you know the origin of that? If you're like me, we've grown up with so many things that have become traditions that we don't often know exactly why if it's not been passed down from one generation to the next. Well, let me tell you where it came from. It all started back in 1882 with a central labor union in New York. And a little bit of the disputes were going on between many of the factory owners and a lot of the labor unions. And there was the proposal, the idea that maybe we should declare a special day set aside for all American workers for all of the hard work that they have truly done. And of course, naturally, many of the owners at that particular time didn't want to give them a day off that was paid. Through a process of time and over the course of the next uh, few years, and specifically due to a strike that took place in, in, uh, in Illinois, it was, and the loss of 13 lives that took place, it was on June 28th of 1894, underneath our president at that time, Grover Cleveland. He developed a congressional act, and get this, in six days it passed through both houses, and he signed it into law, declaring the first Monday in September, Labor Day. You know, it's amazing, they really can get things through. But the form for that particular celebration back then was set up this way. That there was supposed to be a parade throughout the, tr the streets exhibiting the strength and the spirit decor of the trade and labor organizations. That was followed up with, as most good Americans do, um, a celebration and a meal. We can't seem to get together much and have any fun without some food. However, this became part of the Labor Day celebrations and organizations. Nowadays, we're just thankful that we have a day. But you know what? It was 15 years later, something you may not have known unless you do a little research, and you can now today Google it to find out. And 15 years later, in 1909, there was a convention of the American Federation of Labor that actually felt that this thing got a little bit too prideful and a little bit too arrogant. And they adopted a resolution that went like this, that the Sunday preceding Labor Day every single year would be adopted as Labor Sunday and dedicated to the spiritual and educational aspects of the labor movement. So I'm here to tell you this morning, happy Labor Sunday. <laughs> you didn't know that, did you? And for some of you, and now you know the rest of the story. But you know what else Labor Day tells us? It really signifies unofficially the end of summer. Uh, it, as I grew up, I mean for years, it was always school didn't start until the day after Labor Day. We've changed that now because we take a little longer holiday at Christmas and a little longer holiday at Easter time, and we take a few of these holidays throughout time. And so in order to get 180 school days in, we have to back it up a little bit. And some schools are starting a little earlier because they want to try to be done before Memorial Day, which doesn't happen. And so therefore, it's kind of like our culture's changed a little bit. But what I want to tell you this morning, I want to share two matters with you since this happens to be Labor Day weekend and this happens to be an educational Sunday for the development of spiritual and educational matters. So I want to take in the next few moments, and uh, 32 to be exact, and, uh, and, and truly enlighten you. I want to challenge you in your spiritual journey, in your walk with the Lord, and then I want to highlight a particular aspect of this church. And we're going to talk just a little bit about an arm, a department of this church, and specifically your, your Christian school.
I would ask, though, if you would take just a minute, and if you haven't already, if you've got your Bibles or you have your notes there, but if you would turn to Philippians chapter 3 and stand with me. I like to stand and use a, a particular form of text and, and really uh, so that you know where I'm coming from and uh, what's happening from there. We're going to look at three main verses this morning, and I hope to really encourage you in your particular walk. Now, I'm, you can probably see it up on the screen, or you can look at it in your notes that were in your bulletin, but I want to read these three verses from Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 12, and it reads like this, not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. You can circle that word perfect. It's also bold in your notes. But I press on to take hold. That's another one to circle, because we're going to talk about both those. Of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. Now I ask that you all read this out loud with me. Verse 14, okay? I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, I want to thank you so much for this Labor Day, and specifically this Labor Sunday. And Lord, I pray that in the next few moments that you would open our eyes and you'd open our ears to hear what your Spirit would say. But I also pray, Lord, because we know the statistics right now that there are a lot of people that are out of work. And so it's a little bit tougher to be able to celebrate for some of those. But Lord, you are our provision, as we just heard just a few moments ago, that when we trust you, when we declare you as Lord by giving you a tithe, and at many times we move out even farther and, and stretch it and give an offering. That, Lord, your blessing flows. We've never seen you, Lord, with those that are the righteous forsaken. And so I pray for many, many American workers who are out of work that you would provide employment, even this week. So guide us and direct us in these next few minutes, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now, as you're seated, I want you to turn to somebody and say, did you know you're perfect? Now, I didn't say make a dissertation out of it. But for some of you, that's the first time anybody's ever told you that you're perfect. Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit today. You see, how many times do we see people that sort of cultivate that attitude of, I have arrived. I got a ring again. Um, I've got it all together. I, I've heard people say this before. You know, I've been there, done that, bought the t-shirt. It's it's almost like there's a there's a prideful there's an arrogance like 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 I'm much more ahead of where you are and even though we're growing and developing there's something about it that I that I really don't want to let somebody know that 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 I haven't quite got it all together so we we really display this feeling now you might have been that person or you might have seen somebody we've all experienced that where we've been around somebody that just seems to be a little bit more arrogant and cocky than they need to be but you know the interesting thing about it. Is, is, is that instead of being overconfident, when you're next to somebody who truly has got it all together, there's an incredible humility that comes out of them. And an example of that is the Apostle Paul right here in this verse of Scripture. Because in the preceding verses, in verses 1 through 11 in there, he goes on to talk about how important it is to, first of all, he says to rejoice in the Lord. And uh, how, that is incredibly important to make sure that we give him the honor and the glory. But he goes on and say, if anybody has confidence in the flesh, l let, me, let me share with you what I've done. I'm, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was born from the tribe of Benjamin. It, it, when it comes to the law, I was a Pharisee. When it comes to zeal, I was persecuting the church. You want to talk about legalistic? I'll debate you all the way. But then he says right afterwards, all that means nothing compared to understanding Christ. And compared to the, that, that surpassing greatness, we sung about that this morning. 
And, and as, as we've kept him as the main thing. And so he's saying, I haven't already achieved all this. I'm still learning. I had to circle that word perfect. What does that mean? Well, there are a couple of meanings throughout the scriptures. And Paul infers one of them here. And there's, I mean, he directly talks about one of them. And there's a couple of others that he infers. And I want to talk about those first before I say what I really think he's talking about. Did you follow me there? Paul speaks of such maturity and a spiritual purity that we almost think that maybe he could have been a little arrogant. Now, he was what we call a type A personality. It's obvious by his writings. If we didn't have somebody like Paul, who was Saul initially, as we know, and, and, and his zeal and his uh, you know, overabundance and his, let's just face it, his obnoxious personality, we, we wouldn't have a lot accomplished. So you talk about somebody that's going to say, hey, I got it together, you know, but here's a man who's humble that says, you can follow me as I follow Christ. I set an example. And so what he's saying in the midst of this, as he goes on and says, not that I've arrived, for that's not the case. For you won't find any perfectionism in Paul. It wasn't there. Though he may have seemed a little bit arrogant, he wasn't perfect. But you know what is perfect? You know, you ever seen a newborn? There's one right there, as a matter of fact. The, the key officer holding one. You know what people, I hear it say all the time, you know what people say when they look at that baby when it comes out in the first couple of weeks? Oh, they're so, you got it. They're so perfect. They're so, there's something about them. It's just, it, it's, it's genuine, it's sweet. And of course, then we grow up and we look at all you and what happened? <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. However, just as a little child is a perfect human being, but still far from perfect in the development as a man of God or a woman of God. So you and I, it's true for us that we are perfect in all our parts, although not yet perfect in all the stages of our development of our faith. I love that verse that many have used for years and being involved with Christian education for over 30 years now. You see it all the time for many years. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he won't depart from it. That, that aspect in this particular one, and I've, and I've expounded on that one at other topics when I've had a chance, but I will tell you that training... That, that, that instruction that's been given to a perfect child. But, but if it's perfect, why does it need anything more? Now that's an aspect of perfect. That's one dimension that we've got to keep in mind. Remember that saying, somebody says, nobody's perfect. It, it almost, it, what it does to our culture is it kind of just demoralizes us. It, 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 it sort of gives us this feeling of, well, why should I even try? Because nobody's perfect. And in fact, if I'm that perfect, nobody will want to be, be a part of me. I've heard it said before, a saying like, you know, don't, as soon as you find the perfect church, don't attend it, because by you being there, it will no longer be perfect. I mean, we laugh at that statement, but that's not true. But there are a couple of quotes that I did run into that I did want to share with you this morning. Will Chamberlain said this, kind of interesting, years ago. They say nobody's perfect, and then they tell you practice makes perfect. I wish they'd make up their mind. Another one that came out of the movie Prince of Thieves, Robin Hood, it says, there is no perfect men in this world, only perfect intentions. When you aim for perfection, you discover that it's a moving target. George Fisher said that. Here's another one. Stanley Randall said, you've heard this before, I'm sure. The closest to perfection a person ever comes is when he's filling out an application for a job. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? But this is my all-time favorite. Kind of a twist. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus said that in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, while he was on the Sermon on the Mount, not far after he taught on the Beatitudes on the north shore of Galilee. I've been there, got a group going in 57 days. 
looking forward to it again, to be able to talk about, and Jesus himself said, I want you to be perfect for your heavenly Father's perfect. Whoa, wait a minute. What does he mean by that? Well, let me give you an illustration. A number of years ago, in 1980, I went to work for an oil company. I, was, uh, I graduated from college in 1979. Yeah, I know that's a long time ago. But uh, at the time, I felt led to stay at the church that we were at, and so I did. And through a process of a number of things, I got a job, what I thought was going to be about a year, if you will, kind of a tent maker, working for an oil company in the city of Long Beach. And while I was there, because I had a degree, they called me into the, into the office, and they said, we want you to be an engineer. And I said, excuse me, do you know what my degree is in? My degree is in religious education with emphasis on youth and Bible training. And they said, we don't care what it is. We know you have a degree, and we can train you to be what's called a non-degreed engineer. And so for the next, what I thought was going to be a year or so, was the next six years, I worked as a petroleum engineer. And in my hands, when I have, and sometimes people come into my office and they say, what in the world is that? This is a part of a submersible pump. It was actually in the ground at one particular time. They put a number of these together, depending on exactly the formation that's down there in the pressure, to know exactly how to pump the oil out. Underneath it are some, some holes, and the holes are curved in such a way that when this thing spins, it throws oil up through the middle, goes through this thing, and there's a number of these stacked together, and the oil comes right up through the middle, attaches to the end of a pipe that goes down in the ground, and has a cable that goes along the side. Now this thing isn't worth much anymore. And in fact, after they took it out and they sandblasted this thing, and they said this, this isn't a good one, but compared to a brand new one, I couldn't tell the difference myself. But they said it didn't work anymore. The pump, the whale itself failed, and uh, they pulled it back out of the ground, and so I asked for a copy of this. Now, about the only thing this thing's good for anymore, it's a paperweight. It sits in my office. It's no longer perfect. When it was perfect, it was doing its job. That piece of equipment. So therefore, for you to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, he says, do exactly what you were designed to do. If you do what you're designed to do, you're perfect. You're doing exactly, exactly. Now, how do I know what that design is? Well, God's created each and every one of us with a unique shape. You know me. I've been around here long enough that I teach a shape class. That shape really stands for five different things that are part of who you are. Your spiritual gifts, your heart, what you're passionate about, your abilities that are within you, that God has given you. We all have different abilities. Some have some and some have none. I mean, just kidding there. And then your personality. And we all have different personalities. And coupled with that is the experiences, sometimes our life experiences, sometimes our painful experiences, sometimes the very things that we've gone through that, that create the most irritant in our lives, God turns around and says, now, now that you work through that, I'm going to put people in your life that deal with that. But see, God's given every single one of us in this place a unique shape. And what he says is, you're to be perfect. Paul's telling us here, you're to be perfect. I saw on Facebook this last week, boy, that's a new thing. I mean, for some of us, the last 10 years or even less than that, when I grew up, we didn't even hardly have computers. I know that's a long time ago. But I saw on Facebook this last week, life isn't about finding yourself. It's about discovering who God created you to be. I like that. That's perfect. It's about discovering who God has created you to be. But in this particular text that Paul is talking here, he's talking about a little different type of perfection. For the perfection that he's referring to, and I didn't want to pull out the Greek words because that was one of the things that I didn't study in college, although I can look at them and I have the Greek lexicon, but you don't care. But the word itself in this particular case, the word perfection, comes down to what he's saying is he's referring to crowned with a garland of glory, or I've finished my course. 
So Paul's saying, I, I haven't obtained perfection just yet because my course isn't over. I've not completed it. I've not done exactly what I was designed to do, and therefore I've been retired like that particular piece of submersible pump. No, he says, I've still got a little bit to go until I re- obtain absolute perfection in that sense. But here's what Paul does. He says, and because he realizes that he's not yet arrived, there's only one thing for him left to do. Guess what that is? Press on. I'm either dead or I must be pressing on. That's what he's saying here. And so there's no turning back for Paul. So he's given us the encouragement to say, your walk with the Lord, your journey, your spiritual journey that we're, that we're walking through together is not about just coming and occupying and sitting and saying, that's it. There's something more to it. It was in the 15th century when Spain led the world that on their particular coins, they reflected this particular national arrogance, and it was inscribed, nay plus ultra, meaning nothing further. However, it wasn't until after the discovery of the New World, as we know in, you know, later on in the 16th century, and we know about Columbus and Amerigo Vespucci and how the United States was all came into being, that they realized that they really weren't, Spain wasn't the end of the world. And so they had to change their coins. It now read plus ultra, meaning more beyond. My question for you and me today is, is your motto in your Christian walk, is it nothing further or is it more beyond? Are you open? Are you teachable? Are you learning more and you're pressing on to move forward? See, this is where the childlike faith comes in and gives us real maturity. A child can't wait to be bigger, and they're always wanting to be, you know, a little more mature. I, I know, you know, I remember when the kids were young and they were little toddlers, and one of the things is we were going through that stage of potty training, and it was always exciting when they got into the big boy pants or the big girl pants. But you see that with kids at all stages all throughout. At the end of the school year, I come in here, and uh, when I get an opportunity to kind of pronounce the final benediction, if you will, of the school year, and usually it's the elementary that are all in here, and for the last 13 years, I've kind of had a tradition to where I get up and I tell them, now how exciting it is, just before I say the final prayer, and that you know, school is out and summer's here, I usually remind them, how many days until school starts? <laughs> and, and they all go, oh, yeah, okay? But there's one thing I've noticed about the kids that's really exciting. Whenever I say the year is closed, you're done with third grade. I, I, many times I'll see these kids go, yes. And it's like this grade's behind them. Now you're considered a fourth grader, even though it may be 83 more days until school starts. But the fact of the matter is you're bigger or you're now out of elementary school and you're in junior high or boy, we got junior high behind us and now I'm in high school and, and so forth. That same thing happens with us as adults until we reach a certain place and then we kind of want to put the brakes on it and stop it. <laughs> you know how that is. But Paul's saying, not that I have already obtained all this or already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold. I had you circle that word, take hold. You know what take hold means? It means to catch it or to grab it. And, and he goes on to basically say he is expressing his gratitude. I love it. I mean, you know, why is it when you're preparing a message and you, you sing a song and it's like it just comes alive even more so? But, but this morning I was sitting there and we were singing about the fact that we're so grateful for his grace and his love that reached out to us that it never fails. And Paul's doing the same thing. And he says, I am reaching out and I'm taking hold of that which he took hold of me. Now, none of us can come to a saving knowledge of who Christ is unless 
our eyes have been opened, the scales have been removed, and frankly, as I see it throughout Scripture, unless somebody's been praying for you, I see it all the way throughout, unless somebody's praying for you and the Lord's reaching out. But what Paul says is, I'm going to take hold of that which, was, which took hold of me. And he goes on to say, I'm focused on one thing. I find this kind of interesting. One thing. I'm going to forget what's behind and move forward. That's two things. But he says one thing in the midst of this. He says, I press on and I don't want to be distracted by it. So one thing I'm going to do is I'm going to press on toward that prize. I think we often let things in our past distract us. And what do I mean by that, whether they're good or whether they're bad? If you're struggling with something and you're trying to get rid of it, um, you know, they, they, they tell you. I, I come from a family, and in my family, my mother, dad, and sister, they all smoke. I never got into that. And nothing against that, but basically my parents both have emphysema now, and they're struggling, and they look like they're much older. And, and you know, I mean, it's, it says right on there, you know, this can cause whatever. But if they're trying to quit smoking, which I've seen my parents many, many times try to quit smoking, and they're constantly thinking about, I'm not going to smoke, I'm not going to smoke, I'm not going to smoke. What are they thinking of? Smoking. You replace it with something else, regardless of what it is. Here's what happens. We've got to, as, as, as some of my New York friends say, forget about it. You've got to leave it behind you. You've got to put the past behind you and move on. All right? If you're looking back, it doesn't take very long before you go back. And what Paul says is, don't look back. Now, in case you're thinking I'm, I'm picking on one particular vice, let me think of it this way. You can almost get arrogant on the other side. Well, you know all the things that I've done? You know all the accomplishments that I've done? Do you know what I have done in my life? Do you know the degrees I have and the awards and the trophies? Paul says, forget about it. It's in the past. What were you saying I shouldn't do that? No. It builds some confidence. You had your time. You move on. That's all there is to it. It's a new day. We can also get caught up and getting a little too far out in the front. And that is, we're looking at the future by saying, well, someday, someday, you know, when I, when I, when I get that job, I'm going to, someday when I get my inheritance, some, and he says, no, you don't think about the past. You don't over-concentrate on the future. So what am I supposed to concentrate on? The present is where eternity touches us right now. The present, today. Paul knows that running every race it's only one in the present, not in the past or not in the future. You may say, but I've ran a really good race before. We just saw the Olympics, and we saw a number of people break incredible records, and, and some had to live up to that from, from, from the last Olympics up to this one. But you know what? It really doesn't matter what you did at the last one. What matters is what happens right now, today. And our walk is that way too. And, 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 and I think that sometimes we either ourselves or, or, or the enemy is out there trying to tell us that, you know, you're not as good as you think, or you're better than you think, or remember what you did. No, 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 no. We concentrate on the here and now. Max Locato talks about a story of an accomplished Ironman triathlete who told his story in The Secret of Success. Here's what he said. The last, the long race, I, I, I last the long race by running the short ones. I don't swim 2.4 miles. I swim just to the next buoy. Rather than bike 112 miles, I bike 10, take a mental break, and bike 10 more. You never tackle more than the challenge that's ahead. Jesus offered the same kind of counsel, didn't he? In Matthew 6, 34, when he said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Each day is what you should concentrate on. Concentrate on right now. When asked how he managed to write so many books, the author just explained, I'd never written any book. 
All I did was write one page a day and put it all together. And sometimes it's easier to take things at a small pace. You know, let's face it. We need to face our challenges in stages. You can't eat that whole thing at once. You can't do it all that way. But you can control the next hour. If I have a problem with my temper, and I may say, oh, I can't control my temper forever, but I might be able to control it for the next hour. I don't know what the situation is. It's really up to you. But remember, you last the long race by running the short ones. Each day that we have been given is a gift, and that's why they call it the present. So we must focus then on the present. That's what we've got to do. You've got to focus on the present today, right now. If you don't think that's important, you don't need to turn there, but you can look later. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25, Jesus is talking about the parable of the talents, and he talks about how important it is, how he gave three different people different talents, and at the end, he asked them what they had done with it. And the first two had really doubled what they had gone. The first one just kind of went and hid his. And, and we always wonder, what's the moral of that story? The moral of that story is do something. The moral of the story is do exactly with what you've got, what you've been given now, and don't sit back and say, well, I couldn't do anything. I didn't have anything. I wasn't as good as somebody else. It's not it. He goes on in the sheep and the goats, and, and he's talking about in that judgment day, he's going to have both sheep and goats. And one group, he's going to say, you guys didn't do anything. What do you mean we didn't do anything? We cast out demons in your name. We did this. We did that. And yet he says, depart from me because I never knew you. And the other group, he says, now, you did all these things. When did we do those things? Well, you did them because you did it to the least of these. In other words, I think what he's getting at is he's basically saying, what talents do you have? What unique shape and ability do you have? And are you using it for me? You may try to compare yourself to somebody else and say, I can't do as good as that. You weren't meant to. You weren't meant to. I'm not going to have to stand before the Lord and, and, and measure up against Pastor Jason. It's not going to happen. The Lord's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you to do? And you saw it at the very end of that video. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Sometimes in our journey, we reach a place where we just don't know what to do. So we stop and we cry out to God and somebody come up and coined the acronym PUSH. You pray until something happens. But you know, I got to tell you, I got to be honest, in, in preparing for this message and thinking about this, and I thought, you know, it, it's exciting to be able to make sure that we're on our journey and we're moving forward and we're going like that. But aren't there those times in the midst of that where it just seems like God's silent? Where we're not quite sure what to do? And we've heard people say, well, yeah, when you pray, God always answers yes, no, or wait. Yeah, but that's that waiting part I don't like. But I've learned something over the years, and, and you find this, David the psalmist talked about it in right about chapter 50 of Psalms throughout there. But you know, there comes a point in time when I think just like Moses, when he was crying out to God, we find that in Exodus 14, 15, listen, here's what God said. The Lord then said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. You know, sometimes you know exactly what to do. You're expecting some epiphany. You're expecting some word to come specifically just for you that morning. It's going to be just right. And there comes a point in time when, when, when the Lord just says, you know what to do. Do it. Just move on. We've got his word now. He's not speaking to us as much in the audible voice. Not that he can't. But we certainly know that he's given us his written word. And through that, it guides us, directs us. So moving on, it takes me to verse 14. And that is this. I press on toward the goal. That's the second time in this portion of Scripture, in these three verses, that Paul mentions that word press on. It must be kind of important. That word press on means this. Continue moving forward. Advance. March on. Move on. Progress. And, move, and, and pass on. And that pass on is kind of key. 
It's, it's, it's a reaching forward, the hand and the foot. It's, it, it's like the runner in a race knows exactly. You have to lean into that to go. And for the Christian, we, we have a tendency, we, we sort of sit back and say, okay, I know what I've done. I'm, 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 I'm secure in the Lord. And it's not by works that, that I'm boasting, but at the same time, we're running and I'm leaning forward into that. It puts me in that spot of vulnerability to where my hand sees or my eye sees where I'm going. And I put my hands out there and my feet follow that. And I'm running that course. And, and I take that risk to say, I'm going to pro- progress and I'm going to move forward. And, and, and I keep going uh, as far as that's concerned. So he wants us to reach out for that prize. And in uh, Hebrew chapter 6, it says, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. And that's where we should be. I don't know exactly where each one of you are in this place. I do know that you're on a spiritual journey. You weren't here. You're not here by force. The government didn't require you to show up. There wasn't something that you you haven't punched something that says that you served your time and you have to take your bullets into somebody. Well, maybe somebody does, but (laughs) I don't know. I've seen people when I've stood in the lobby before, I've seen people walk in, grab a bulletin and leave. And I've often wondered why. Maybe the parole officer needed to see it. I I don't know. So (laughs) something of that sort, you know, but you know as well as I do, we're all on a different spiritual journey. And, and, and when that comes to the case, you know, there are times you can't wait for somebody else to tell you exactly what the next step is. Jesus, when he left, he said, I'm going to give you the comforter. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. He's going to guide you into all truth. And as we walk with him and as we continue to do that and as we study and as we're in his word and we're memorizing that, he guides us and directs us. And yeah, along the way, we get these messages or we sing some songs that also encourage that the Holy Spirit speaks through, that guides each one of us. But just like that we're supposed to focus on the present, the second thing is we must press on to win the prize. I don't know about you, but we like prizes, don't we? I think everybody does. We just get encouraged. But, you know, this idea of we've accepted Christ and now we're waiting and and, and we heard it today, as Jason even said, we're, we're looking forward to being able to take communion with the Lord. And, you know, all my life I've heard that. All my life. Jesus is coming. Could come any day. Jesus is coming. And, 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 you know, I've met people at times that say, you know, all that stuff we keep hearing about, that's, is that real? Well, yeah. Yeah, but the early church thought Jesus was coming. And we're still, it's his timing. Read through and understand. Do you ever stop and think that maybe the way we've read through Scripture and we might have interpreted it might not be the exact way it was intended? You've got to get the contextual. You've got to understand it from the proper standpoint rather than just our English vernacular that goes with it. But Paul says, I'm going to press on to win the prize. So what's he doing? I'm going to tell you, every single one of us in here, we have a high calling on our lives. Every single one of us have a high calling, and there's something that we need to do. But God's given inside of each one of us a motivation. We're all motivated by something different. I I love to, uh, to, to refer to it as, what's the hammer? What is it that motivates you? Now, we had five kids growing up, and I used to have a thing that when I used their name, I had to pay them five bucks. But that's done a long time ago. So I can talk about my kids all I want. But let me suffice it to say, I won't use names, but I will tell you all five of them are motivated by something different. For some, we could just say, you know what, you're not having this particular privilege. You, you're not, you're not, you don't get to sit and watch television with the rest of the family, and we're going to watch this favorite show, and it would drive one of them absolute nuts. Another one I could truly say, you're not talking on the phone. What? Somebody else actually told me one time, said, Dad, you might as well just spank me and get it over with so I can get on. No, 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 no. That's an easy punishment for you. With one of the others, all we had to say was, that's enough. Stop. And they did. I won't say he or she because 
You'll figure it out. All right? I'm just telling you that we're all motivated by something. But there's one thing I know with each one of us. When they know, when you know there's a reward involved, yeah, what's the prize? What is it? You know, I mean, you could tell that to a group of kids anytime, any group of kids. You say, you know what? If you do this, there's a prize. What's the prize? You know, I mean, we're so used to nowadays saying, well, it may not be good enough. I may not want to do it. What if it is good? I watched last year at our graduation service here, our first returning graduate. And uh, actually, Mike was here and he, he spoke. He handed out a $100 bill to one student. I think the seniors that were sitting over there and he said any one of them could have received it. I didn't think they, were, they thought he was going to do it. Weren't they shocked when the one student ended up getting that $100 bill? It's like, are you kidding me? Yeah, there was a prize that was there. So what's the prize? Here's the prize. There is in store for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only for me, but all who long for his appearing. In other words, folks, if we stay the course, we're in. It's, it's not based on what we've done. Paul says, man, I, I, I strive to take hold. It's, it's, a, it's a cooperation effort. I work at it, he strengthens me. I work at it, he strengthens me. And I find that the more I'm strengthened, the more he kind of enlarges a little bit. And I've often wondered, I don't know, how many times do you read through the Bible before you finally get it? Forever? I mean, I don't know. And there's a part of you that just says, he says, okay, now you got that down. Let me show you something else. Let me show you something else. And, and you just keep going. But there's one thing we do know. There's a crown of righteousness for us for all of us who continue to persevere. Second part of that, press on, is that word pass on. It actually is a part of it. So we don't just get to the place to where we understand this for ourselves and then we're done. No, 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 no. We actually then have to pass it on to the next generation. You see, running the race and passing the baton to the next runner is so critical. If I think I'm, I'm, you know, this is my last race, I'm just running around and I'm going to take my time getting to the end. It's no big deal. But the next one's saying, no, 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 come on. We're, we're running this race. Get up here. Give me that baton so I can go. We need to pass it from one generation to the next. If we don't, then we're remiss. Now, there's a couple of groups of people that really fall in that category who have this even more so. The first one is parents. Parents, you have been given the directive. comes straight from Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 9. Only be careful to watch yourselves closely so that you don't forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and to your children after them. You know what I don't like about our Christian faith? Is that we don't understand the rituals. The Jewish faith has a tremendous amount of rituals. There are certain things that God has told them to do over and over again. Why? So that they'll remember from one generation to the next. The only problem is, unless they've become complete in Christ, they're missing the main thing, the Savior. And they're still looking for him. We found the Savior, but we forget. And so we get a little more loosey-goosey. It'd be nice to kind of mesh those two together. Isn't it interesting about what's going to happen? Read your Bible. It's all going to come together in the end. And it's exciting. And the more you understand that culture, the more you understand that there are things that they pass on from one generation to the next. And we have a tendency to have forgotten that. The second category that falls into that is teachers. Teachers fall into this category of greater accountability too. James 3.1 says, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach are going to be judged more strictly. The prize, the prize that Paul was talking about was the upward call of God. You say, that's it? <laughs> what do you mean that's it? Yes, the privilege of knowing, of having the peace. You could have a tumultuous time all around you, but if you're doing exactly what God has called you to do, 
then you are perfect, regardless of the storms that rage around you. I mean, you find that out. And the more you mature, and as we move on in our walk with the Lord, you recognize that it doesn't matter what happens to you. It really, what matters is what happens through you. And if you walk it together with Him. So I'm telling you, parents and teachers, and that just about encompasses a whole lot of people in this room. We're held to that higher standard. All right? That's the spiritual dimension of it. The last part of it is the educational. And I told you I was going 32 minutes and I'm right there. So I got a little long-winded. So bear with me the next couple of minutes because I got something really important to share with you. And that is the educational. It's important for us to press on, to be perfect, and then to pass it on. That brings me to this particular second point in this Labor Sunday, and that is the educational component of what I want to share with you. I don't often get the chance, as superintendent of the, of the school, to really give you a report. We do it at the annual business meeting, which is coming up in a couple of weeks, but not all of you are there, and so you don't really get to see that, as well as you really don't know what's happening here. The first and foremost question is, why have a Christian school? Why do we have a school? Aren't we a church? Interesting thing, and I'm going to suffice my lesson, and it's a whole nother time to go with that, but I can tell you, when this country was founded, we were founded on Christian biblical principles, a religious freedom, if you will, and we were given the opportunity to be able to not be told what church we had to attend to. And so Thomas Jefferson, when he wrote, in, in, in part of his documents initially, wrote the importance of the separation between the church and the state, he did not mean that we need to take and, and put education separate from what's happening with the church. And in fact, education and the church should be together because of what the Bible gives. It's the moral code. It's the moral principles. It's the absolute. It's the only thing that is consistent throughout all of time. And he knew that it was important to be there. And in fact, the schools originally were founded in churches all throughout Pennsylvania and some of the early colonies. And eventually they, they developed public buildings with which to put schools into because, well, let's just face it, society was prolific and they had a lot of kids. And it was getting to be, it was more and more. Well, I can tell you, for a couple hundred years that went along fine. But along about 1962, I remember I was in second grade. And I can remember my first couple of years in school, I remember the Bible being there. And I remember talking about prayer. But there were two things that happened almost simultaneously. And the Supreme Court interpreted those as being unconstitutional to be able to have prayer and the Bible within Christian schools. Folks, we are 50 years later. And what's happened today, I could go on and do a whole other message on it as to exactly why I believe so important. Now, it's a mission field in that public school. I am not bashing that whatsoever. But I am telling you, God has raised up a number of Christian schools. The stigma that has happened with that is that we have a tendency to say, well, we're going to do a Christian school and we're more, it's more important that they come to Jesus than it is that they really get an academic solid what's needed there. And so where our societies come from, if you really study it and you really look at it, is you realize it's become one major huge monopoly throughout society. We have now fallen the 15th in the world as far as our educational rankings. Our SAT scores have dropped in the last 50 years farther than they ever have. And our students today and the issues that we have to deal with, what happens within education as a whole is really tough. Does that mean that Christian schools are absolutely perfect? No. But I am going to tell you you, you, you take out the mainstay, and what happens is from one generation to the next, it gets weaker and weaker and weaker to the place now that you see exactly where we're at in society. However, I've read the book. That's what's supposed to happen. Because our humanistic ideas have so taken over that it's just taking control. So why did we start a Christian school? Well, let me tell you what happened. 
I didn't start it. I've been here 14 years. We're about to celebrate our 20th year, the start of our 20th school year. God spoke to one board member in 1992 as they were building the educational wing over here. And he told them, God told them specifically that we needed to partner with the parents in this community in the development of the spiritual directive that's given to parents. Got together with the pastor and the leadership, and the academy was started with 15 kids in 1993. We now are starting our 20th year, and I can tell you that today we have 227 students from infant to grade 12. Inclusive of that is we have an international division where we have 45 international students that are boarded just five miles south of here at Sparrow Fellowship. It wasn't something that we dreamed up. It was something God gave us, and we've taken it a step at a time. Where do we go from here? I'm not sure, but I can tell you this school that you have here is a fully accredited school with the um, Middle States Association of Colleges and Schools and also accredited with the Association of Christian Schools International, the largest Christian accrediting body in the world. On top of that, it was in August, just one month ago, Mr. Gernovich and I went to the PIAA and we petitioned and we were actually voted in and accepted into the PIAA and the single A schools. What does that mean for us in the future? God has some plans. And I don't know exactly what that entails, but it's, are we perfect? No, but we are a perfect school because we're doing exactly what God has called us to do. I've included in your notes our mission statement, and I do want to just highlight that. And that is to partner with parents to deliver educational excellence for tomorrow's leaders in developing a worldview that is distinctively Christian. There are six other value statements that are there for us. We filter everything we do in this school through that. And it's my job to try to assemble the team and do the absolute best that we can. So I will tell you, that school is a part of fulfilling the mission of this church, and that is helping walk people through in their transformational journey with Jesus. And I can tell you, I'm excited to be a part of it. And I'm really excited because on the backside of your notes, I've listed the staff, and I want to ask them for the sake of time, if they would all just come up here and stand across the front. Most of them could be here. A number of them have uh, lead worship at other churches, and they do their best they can to get in here. But uh, I wanted you to see that we have uh, had the, the list of all of those that, uh, so that you can pray for them. This is your school. You're a part of this. And uh, you, you're, you're one of those that helps partner with and, and, and pulls together exactly. And they're all moving to that side, but you can go all the way across. <laughs> the, yes. For the sake of time, I was really planning on trying to shorten things because I really wanted to, to read their names, not necessarily to highlight each one of them, and I'm not making them speak. But I want you to see what's happening. There are 45 people that are part of this early education center all the way through high school. This is something that God birthed. When I look at the original notes that Dick Fisher had when God spoke to him about what's happening with the school, and some of the notes that he made, and when they talked about it initially, they thought they'd go through sixth grade. They thought that's all it would be. And when I was pulled on, Pastor Jack says, yeah, we're in school K to six, and that's where we'll be. And I had a sense in my spirit that God was saying, no, 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 there's something more. And so, I, I, again, out of respect for my leader, my pastor, I went to him and I said, Pastor, I think all due respect, I think God wants us to add a grade at a time and to keep going. And we did that. And through stepping out and watching what's happening and adding high school, and then God speaks to Mr. Gernovich about, uh, you know, you think about boarding. Well, where are we going to board them? We don't know. And God worked all that out. And then God raised up a parent, you know, a parent in the community that goes down and builds a dormitory that we partner with. It's a Christian dormitory, and we just see what God is doing with that. And then on top of that, you know, he takes within the ranks, and Mrs. Fox, who you've seen already, greeted today, was second grade teacher for a number of years, 
And God just put upon her heart administration and moves her up into that. And I can tell you story after story with each and every one of them that's happened here. But what's really exciting is for the first time, Mr. Gernovich gets to get rid of part of his portfolio. And down on the end is Scott LaRocca, which is our new athletic director, was hired last week. And uh, talking about how exciting. We're wel- we want to welcome each and every one of you. But I want to pray for them, but not just them. As Betty Lou said earlier, there are educators within this church. We're able to talk about the Bible and to pray with kids. And yeah, we have standards that we have to meet, and we meet those standards, and we work hard for that. And their accreditation, we're, we re-up accreditation in 2016, and we got some work to do because that's part of what we have to do. It's an accountability. Accreditation hasn't brought us one single student, but it's made sure that what we do, we do with excellence. And as long as I'm here, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to champion the call to be perfect. And that perfect means we're going to do exactly as God has called us to be. But there are other educators. And if you're involved with any, any aspect of schools, public, private, or otherwise, would you stand right where you're at? Because I want to pray for every single one of you. It is a mission field. And God has called you just as well. But I wanted you as this congregation to see these are your educators right here. But around you here, and I don't want you to ever forget a face, because these people are held to a higher standard and a higher calling. God has called them specifically to do. The challenge is tough in public ed to not be able to whip out your Bible and to pray for kids. I know that. I've heard that. But I can tell you we're all called. So let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for each of these educators. For those that are standing to their feet right now, Father, I pray that uh, I know as several of the schools have already started and uh, we're off and running, but Lord, I just pray that your anointing, your favor would be upon each one of these. And I pray that no matter where it is, whether it's in the infant room, whether it's teaching ESL, or whether it's in the public school and you're dealing with special needs, it doesn't matter where we are, God, that, that you're with us. And I ask that even this morning, that your hand of blessing would flow in and through. Help each of us to maintain our Christian disciplines, our spiritual disciplines with you, to be faithful in your word, to be faithful in prayer, to be faithful in our giving, to declare you as Lord and to allow you, Lord, to be able to work in and through us. So guide and direct us, and um, let us have a great year, I pray. And I pray all this now in Christ's name. Amen. Let's give him a hand, shall we? Yeah. Thank you. You guys can go back. Now would you stand with me? I told somebody I was going to do this in about 25 minutes, and they said, yeah, right. I don't, I don't bother gambling anymore because I just can't do it. i got too many stories. But now may God grant you favor and blessings as you go forth from this place to impact the world for Him. I want you to enjoy this Labor Sunday with your family. I want you to celebrate righteously, whether it be with a picnic or if you're going to do your own parade, go for it. Have a great time and make sure you do it. And tomorrow, think about this as we have this special Labor Day celebration. God bless you. May God be with you as you go your separate ways. Thanks.